Greetings, amigas and top teners everywhere. Welcome back to another edition of Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I, of course, am your co-host, Kyle. Opposite me today, as he is every week, is your co-host, Michael. He's wearing a sky blue shirt. He looks very good, I have to say. Now, we have an extremely special edition of Top 10 for you this week, dear listeners, because we have with us, for the first time ever, somebody that does not know us, first of all, and probably more importantly, an actual podcaster. We ran into a podcaster who uh, likes our show and runs his own podcast that I'll let him tell you about. But we have basically a a real-life professional podcast guest on the episode, Um, and so we're very excited to talk with him. His name is Bill Van Vagel, um, and I'll let him do his own introduction. But anyways, Bill has made a list. I know what the list is. I don't think Mike does. But Bill has made a top 10 version of said list. He's going to relay that list to us. We will vigorously debate it. And, and hopefully around an hour, we will have arrived at a definitive version of that top 10 list. So, Bill, what are we talking about today? Okay, so my name is Bill Van Vagel. I'm a podcaster for the last, oh, 18 months or so. <laughs> I am mainly on a, a horror podcast called Land of the Creeps, where we talk about anything and all things horror, movie reviews, anything new that comes out. I'm also on a couple other podcasts called The Phantom Galaxy with my friend Nathan, where we talk horror, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm on a YouTube channel with my buddy Jay called Jay vs. Horror, where we do all kinds of all things horror. But Land of the Creeps is what you can find me on most with Gregor Mortis and Dr. Shock Dave Becker. <laughs> but I found these guys by doing some exercises in the backyard, and I always walk around. I want something really interesting and mind-stimulating while I'm walking. <laughs> and I found this all-time top 10 show, and I'm like, this sounds really damn interesting. So depending on the topic, I'm more or less interested, depending on what I'm listening to. Yeah. But I'm really looking forward Us to too. this. I've been, looking, <laughs> I've, been list, I've been making this mental list all week of my top 10 of the topic we're going to talk about. And even last night at 11 o'clock, I was still feverishly changing it up. <laughs> so... It's as good as I'm going to get it. And thank you very much, boys, for letting me on. Oh, God. You have I, – I, I know I said this in the pre-show, but, like, I, it's – we cannot possibly express our excitement to have one actual fan we don't know. And it's so exciting to have you on. And to have had somebody listen who also is an experienced podcaster is, is really cool. So we're we're pretty pumped. So I don't know, maybe it would be cool if you could just give a little background, like where are you from, what do you do for work, um, you know, what got you interested in horror? Sure. Um, as I said, I'm Bill Van Bagel. I'm by day an elementary school teacher. Yep. So I teach grades one, two, and three. I don't have my own classroom, but I'm that teacher that pops in when the other teacher needs their uh, assigned break. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't have my own class, but I teach 130 odd kids. Oh wow! So I have to remember all their names. So I'm very excited to get back to work in the fall because I've been doing the remote learning for the last five months or so. So I want to get back and uh, with appropriate distancing and such. Of course. But I've loved, I've loved movies ever since I was a kid. I can remember my dad taking me to see Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I remember, awesome. I remember my dad uh, showing me the theater and when the... Um, uh, Darth Vader says, Luke, you are my father. I remember sitting there listening to that. Uh, I remember my dad taking me to see uh, the Chariots of Fire and going to the drive-in to see the last Starfighter. And But I've had a love of horror from a young age, the Universal Monsters and Godzilla, 
all the way up to when I was 11 years old and saw a Texas Chainsaw Massacre at a friend's birthday party. <laughs> but anything, anything gory and scary I love, but anything in between. I love my cheesy 80s comedies. Fletch is one of my all-time favorite movies. Nice. Uh, and the vacation films and those kind of things. Uh, I like a good legal drama. I like a good uh, drama film, period. I'm one of those, my friend describes me as, I'm like Mikey in the life commercials. Give it to me and I'll watch it and I'll tell you what it's like at the end. <laughs> <laughs> we, it's funny because we have, we have quite a crew of, um, of movie lovers in our group of friends. And we always laugh because there's, there's a big spectrum among our friends in terms of how critical we are about films. So, like, on one end is our friend Jameson, who is just endlessly positive about the movies he's seen. I mean, he could go see, like, that movie Trolls 2, and he would tell you unironically that it was great. He'd be like, oh, it was great. I really liked it. I thought that it was really cool, that it was terrible. Uh, I loved the fact that it had no storyline. It was great. And then we have on the other end our friend Ketty, who said that the movie Gravity was terrible, because they would never have broken up those asteroids or whatever it was, that space debris, the way that they did. And therefore, the rest of the movie was invalidated. And Kyle and I exist somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. But I would say, like you, we like everything. Like, we will... We're a little... We're, we're novices in the horror realm. But we just will... Like, <laughs> I love A Few Good Men... The same day I would I would watch you know Ready Player One, and the same week I would watch you know uh, Heat. Like we we just we like everything movies, so we're glad to have a fellow movie lover. I remember seeing the second Lord of the Rings, and I'm not a huge fantasy fan. I'll enjoy it. I'm thinking, well, these guys just die. It'll quick. It'll make the movie end quicker. But I know that there's a trilogy, <laughs> right? So they ain't dying. <laughs> I actually thought that. I don't remember what movie I was watching recently, but I was like, all right, let's just... I just want everybody to die so this movie can end, because it just wasn't ending. Yeah, this, let's get to the punchline, but when the force starts moving, I'm like, oh, fuck, it ain't ended anytime soon. <laughs> no. no. God, no. Those ends take their time. Yeah. <laughs> so we are talking about movies today, yes? Yes, uh, we are, and if you want me to keep the suspense going, I'll wait as long as you want. No, let's get into it, because I'm excited about this. Okay, so I guess Mike doesn't know what we're talking about. No. We're talking about top 10 sports movies. Nice. Yeah. This makes me very happy. Because sports movies is one of those genres that, regardless of the style of film you like, you can always become engaged in the type of film. And it can be from some kind of sporting event from the 1800s, or something that happened last week. And there's always an endearing quality to it. And what I like about it is, you, generally you can take sports movies from one of two ways. It's a silly, kiddish type movie. you got your uh, Mighty Ducks type movie, you know. Or you've got an engaging, drama, hard-hit film that's dark and deep and a relationshipy type of film. And everything in between. And across the spectrum, regardless of age, regardless of your sex, regardless of the style of movie you like, you can always get pulled in by a sports movie. What's interesting about sports movies is that, like, I, yeah, you're right. Like, I would say a, a very large portion of them fall into this category of, like, the sport achievement is an allegory for, like, a personal journey. And usually it's something, like, grounded in, in darkness or, uh, like, a personal achievement story. And so it's, like, it's more or less the same thing over and over again. Just change the people in the sport. And yet... 
every time a sports movie comes out, I'm like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna see that, and I'm probably really gonna get into it. Like it, it for some it, reason, it always works. It's an interesting genre in that I think most most genre films in recent years have been deconstructed, reconstructed, challenged, all that stuff. Like everybody feels like you can't just make an action movie now because. You know, there's been too many, so you have to deconstruct what an action movie is. And I think people can get in their own heads with trying to sort of subvert genre expectations. And sometimes it works really well, and it's cool that somebody, you know, took a genre you're familiar with and did something different. But I really like that sports movies on the whole have not gone through that. I think for the most part, a sports movie is, like you said, it's a pretty simple formula. It's about a person or a group of people who have some problem and through sports they overcome that problem and i really like that it's that simple because it allows you to sort of just invest in the characters and i think sports movies rise and fall on how much you invest in the characters it's not like how much did they surprise you in a lot of cases you know the ending and even if you don't know the ending the ending is really one of two things they win or they lose and so it's really just like how much did you invest in the journey that got you there and what's nice about it is if you want to f- feel uplifted, there are sports movies that will make you feel high as high. If you want like a gritty interpersonal look into people's relationships, you can find those kind of sports movies. Or if you just want to see one how a sport works, you can find that as well. Like It's, it's open to anybody and everybody who just enjoys movies. Totally. Absolutely. So do you want me to, I was going to say, do you want me to crack into it? Yeah, or? I, I would just be curious to, b- before you start, like, did you have any kind of like, criteria that like helped you narrow your list down or like what were the parameters that you used to kind of do your ranking well the the parameters i used one of two things being a cinephile i enjoy somebody who is good as an actor or an actress i consider females actors i don't know if that's the no i think i think there's been a big movement to get rid of the term actresses and i've heard people talking about getting rid of the gender specified uh, acting category so we're pro actors I just, on this pod. Yeah, I just go actors, and the way I go is one of two ways: is the story intriguing? Yep. Does it? And this goes with any list I have. If the story sticks with you a day later, and you get up in the morning, you're still thinking about it. That got my attention. And secondly, does the story revolve around sports, or could you have that movie without the sport element being in it? Oh. Like if the sport element is in it but it's not one of the driving forces in the story i call that sports adjacent yeah Mm. there happens to be sports in it but it's not a sports story but if there's one that has a story in it that one i'm entertained by or two i care about the characters i had a list of about 25 that i whittled down to 10 okay and i'm sure you guys both have had a couple in your life that you you didn't necessarily go in thinking it would be good and by the end you're like Wow, holy crap, this was a good movie. I've had my yeah. fair share of those. And there's definitely a few gaps in my um, my sports movie watching career. There's a few that I, I'm like, how have I not seen this movie? I have, en- I have basically enjoyed most <laughs> sports movies I've seen. And I don't know if that points to a lack of, you know, sort of critical eye on my part, <laughs> but I, I just love them. Yeah, so, uh, and, and you know what, it's great. And you can have very... Family-oriented films, Disney films that you know, Angels in the Outfield kind of thing, where you can have your five-year-old watch, or you can have ones that you got to tell the wife to leave the room. Like it's just, <laughs> it's all over the border. Yep. But uh, I'm gonna start off with my number ten. Yeah. 
is one that I saw in the theater. It's the most recent film. I find recently, the last 10 years or so, the sports movies have been a bit bereft of quality. And quantity. Uh, and quantity, too. Because there is a bit of, you know, like, the audience gets killed by a certain amount all the time, so they're kind of, I don't know if they're cheesy or they're just not bankable by the studios, what have you. Number 10 I put is We Are Marshall from 2006. You know, that's a really good and really underrated movie. Is that the one with Kyle Chandler? That's the one with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey's in it. And so is Kate Bosworth, who was great and a big crush of the early 2000s for me. In case anybody wanted to know. It's a 2006 movie about the Marshall University football team in 1970. was flying home after a victory. I don't know if it was a bowl victory or just a big victory. And in November of 1970, the plane went down, killing the entire team. Other than a couple that were left behind, that were injured, or they had family things, and they didn't get on the plane, the entire team was decimated. And Marshall, Missouri is a smaller town. They kind of live and die by their team. Everybody's in mourning. And they didn't know whether to keep the football program going. And they decided, let's get her going again. And they had all these people apply for the head coaching job. And Matthew McConaughey, I believe he's like a military coach or what have you. And he wined and dined them. And he uh, was impressive to them. And he took the job. And it's a very emotional journey of a healing town. You know, and you know, small town USA, how they love their, their football. And getting them, the fans back, getting the players wanting to come back, trying to recruit a bloody team. When you know walking in, who the hell's going to go with NHL or NHL NFL potential, knowing that the team's going to be crap, and it's I, I it it pulls the heartstrings, but it's a really strongly acted film. I totally agree. This is one, uh, and I want to correct myself. It was not Kate Bosworth. It was Kate Mara, who I also love. This was also the first time I ever saw Anthony Mackie. He was great in this movie, uh, and Kyle Matthew Fox was in this movie. So maybe that was the. That's what I'm thinking thinking of. of. Um, But uh, this was a movie that could have gone wrong in about a million different ways. And looking on the internet, it looks like some of the reviewers think that it went sort of the schlocky, the, you know, sort of lifetime route. But I don't agree. I think my recollection of this movie was that it was kind of really thoughtful and sensitive to what's still a really, like, pretty incredibly tragic situation. And it says 75 people died in that plane crash. That's a horrendous event. And Matthew McConaughey was great in this. And this was sort of pre-McConaissance. Like, this was still sort of peak, you know, beefcake, like, you know, rom-com douchebag Matthew McConaughey era. And he was really, really effective in this movie. Go ahead. Anything to say, Kyle? I've not seen it. I'm, I would really like to do a full catalog of Matthew McConaughey's career because I'm very... Yeah. Everything I've ever seen him in, I've liked. Like, even the rom-com stuff. And so, eventually, yeah. I'll get I'll get to filling this in especially now that it has your recommendation. Well, Kyle, you'll get some of that on our courtroom dramas uh, episode. Like, I know I know it makes the women all wet and wicked and all that with McConaughey, but... <laughs> hey, he's, me too. He's, <laughs> me too. He's, he, <laughs> he's really a good actor. He is yeah. a strong actor. He's great. Totally agreed. So my number nine is more on the comedic side, because sports movies kind of go one way or the other. You either bust a gut laughing or you cry a tear watching, but either way you're engaged. Number nine is one I saw in, I was in grade nine or ten, Major League. Yeah. From 1989. 
I was going to say, that is just a gut buster because it's so ridiculous. The, the plot of the film is the Cleveland Indians, if anybody remembers baseball in the 80s, Cleveland was awful. Their stadium was the mistake by the lake. And it's where ballplayers went to die. Pat Tabler and Joe Carter and stuff. And that that's about it. That's all they had. <laughs> and it's a fictitious owner that wants to move the team. And she basically gets rid of all the good talent, gets all the scrubs, and the team has to survive. But they rally together to survive. And it has some amazing actors. Tom Berenger is great in that film. There's a young Wesley Snipes as Willie Mays Hayes, who every time he steals a base, he gets the glove and sticks it on his bedroom wall. And their owner is just unscrupulous, a real B-I-T-C-H. <laughs> I, I love this film. It's an absolute stick it on. I don't care if I'm making dinner, if I'm doing laundry, if I'm just sitting there scratching myself. I want to watch this film. <laughs> I'll yeah. say that this is... This makes me feel really good. Like the first two movies on your list makes me realize that like the tone of your list is very much going to match ours. Like the fact that you're, the, we are like, we are Marshall and Major League coexist on your list already is, is giving me, uh, good vibes. Cause this is very much on the opposite end of the, the sports movie spectrum or in the different category, like we talked about. But this is, yeah, I'm. I don't think it's any secret to anyone who listens to this podcast. Like, I'm a huge, huge baseball fan. Mike is too, and so like my my personal list would be heavily populated with baseball movies, and this one is would definitely be on it for sure. And I I, I hasten to mention Renee Zellweger was really good in this film. Yeah, yeah. this is it's funny looking at this. Um, this cast is just reading the cast list is reminding me of the characters that I forgot how much I loved. I forgot Dennis Haysbert played Pedro Serrano, the guy who does voodoo. And I love Dennis Haysbert and wish he were not just in commercials because his role in Heat as the short order cook who ends up getting pulled back into the life is just amazing. And he was so great in this movie. And it's such a di- like an utterly different character. But I think for me, the thing would check. I was just going to say, who's the guy that played the manager? He is brilliant in this film. It's Corbin Burnson, who was um, on L.A. Law. And most famously for me, because I didn't watch L.A. Law, he was in um, he was uh, on an episode of Seinfeld when Jerry and George are in California trying to find Kramer. And Jerry's going on, I think, The Tonight Show. And uh, George runs into Corbin Burnson backstage and tries to pitch him an idea for his television show. And he's, he like ruthlessly makes fun of him on uh, The Tonight Show. Yeah, he played the third baseman. Oh, I'm wrong. Real, he was the business guy. Uh, Wait a second. Guy, yeah. Yeah, the guy... The, oh, I'd have to look it up. Oh, it's uh, his James Gammon. The other the other guy, there's there's one of the uh, uh, actors plays a veteran pitcher who's just hanging on for dear life. And he gets, they get them because he's cheap. And they say, well, how do you throw your knuckleball so well? He goes... He looks under the, the, the lid of his cap, and he's got, uh, you know, baby powder, Vaseline, Vagisil, whatever it is to rub <laughs> on the ball. <laughs> so I, I know it's, it's movie it's movie myth, but I think it's true that Charlie Sheen actually took steroids to make this movie. And I, I think I heard he was able to, to sort of pop the glove at, like, mid to high 80s when they were filming this kyle you're shaking your head you've heard that too i have heard that 
he looks legit. Like, I think that when he's pitching, like, he's doing it. And I also think that we did a top 10 baseball nicknames a while back. But if we were doing, if we were including fictional names, Wild Thing would be way up there. Because that's the... That's oh, a, yeah. I think Mitch Williams was actually called Wild Thing. Yeah. Oh, he gave up the home run ball to Joe Carter, Mr. Mitch Williams. Yeah. Philadelphia loves Mitch Williams. Yep. <laughs> Looking at Charlie Sheen in this movie with those glasses, he reminds me so much of Joe Kelly, <laughs> who also is a complete psycho. <laughs> uh, all I have to say is, if you're going to go in, you have to go in with the right mind frame. This one's going to be silly, funny, yeah. good date film, good good sit on the couch with your wife film. Yeah. You know, have some popcorn and some Twizzlers and just enjoy. Last, totally last note on this one, if you're interested in more about the 1980s uh, Cleveland Indians, there's one of the best, like, 40 minutes of podcasting I've ever listened to is this podcast called The Dollop. And it's these two comedians that one of them will tell a story of American history and the other guy will just riff on it and they'll joke. And they have an episode called um, Ten Cent Beer Night about exactly what it sounds like. It's a Cleveland Indians game in the 80s that devolves into madness. It's one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to, and I don't often get a chance to shout it out. So, last note on Major you would have You would have to get through those 10-cent beer nights to watch those awful Cleveland teams in that crappy stadium in April where you're freezing your nuts off just uh, sitting there and, oh, my. Right. That sounds miserable. I Baseball at that time of year in Cleveland, ugh. Oh, I've done it in Toronto where you, in April... <laughs> And before they had the Sky Dome or the Rogers Center, and it was the Exhibition Stadium, and the beer sales were quite brisk. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> so my number eight, my number eight, I'm going to the other end of the spectrum, and I watched it the other day. I think you guys will appreciate it, and that's 1994's Cobb. I don't know this I, one. Is this about Ty Cobb? I haven't seen this one. It's got Robert Wool. And Tommy Lee Jones playing Ty Cobb. And what happens is Ty Cobb is near the end of his life. He's in his early 70s. He's lived a hard life. And he wants to get a sports writer to write his biography for him. And Robert Wolf plays uh, Stumpy. And Stumpy is a writer who's the top-selling or top-paid top sports writer in America. And he kind of gives him a call and says, Come on down, I want you to write my biography for me. And you find out who Ty Cobb was. It's basically a, a, a character study of Ty Cobb. And he's an irascible, pain in the butt, racist, sexist, misogynistic, most sticky man you ever want to be around. And it's his journey, Robert Wool, the uh, writer, dealing with Ty Cobb. It's dark. You couldn't make certain scenes in this film anymore. The N-word is thrown out there. At one point, uh, he tries to uh, have his way with a hooker uh, forcibly. Uh, it's him in a cabin throwing beer bottles and liquor bottles and medicine bottles. And But by the end, he gets humanized. I wouldn't say that he becomes sympathetic, but he does. You kind of By the end of the movie, you understand his mindset. There's skeletons in the closet about his family history you get to understand. And by the end, Robert Wall, who was sympathetic at the beginning, doesn't be, end up being so sympathetic. So if you like a dark character study with dark humor, and if, if you like your baseball, your 1910s, 1920s baseball, 
It is a good film. I definitely say check it out. I think you two boys will love this. Oh, we should. Yeah, this will go on our movie weekend list for the next time we see each other for sure. Without question. I mean, I'm always interested in Detroit Tigers baseball history specifically. And Ty Gobb, I think, is a really interesting character to look at. Because I've, I've read and listened to stuff recently where people have kind of said maybe some of the portrayal of Ty Cobb like, wasn't entirely as uh, as bad as people were led to believe. But, like, the fact that there's two... Like, the fact that there's so much ambiguity with, like, what kind of person he was, like, is really interesting. And I think it's also interesting that, like, this is the story they decided to tell. Like, this is a guy who... Like, it was arguably one of the greatest hitters of all time. And to set a movie about him after his playing days is a really interesting choice and kind of obviously, like, highlights the fact that he's a more interesting person off the field than on, which is saying something, because, again, he's one of the greatest to ever play. I mean, there's one scene where they say the rumor is that he used to... They used to wear metal spikes when they played ball, and he used to file them down before each game. So that when he slid into second and third, those spikes were up there. Oh, as somebody who's had a cleat stuck in his hand and still has the scar from it when the cleat wouldn't come out. Oh, I can't even imagine that on like your calf. Jesus. But but the the film kind of ends with Dykob dies and the the books get written. But one of Dykob's last lines is the desire for glory is not a sin. So it's kind of that the end justifies the means kind of philosophy that Ty Cobb had. Yeah. I mean, I mean it is it is interesting. We were, I, I'm trying to remember now what the, the topic was, but I was talking about with um, my dad basically recently about that very concept that like, oh, it was about the last dance. It was about Michael Jordan and, and how like, you know, when your purpose in life is to win – you know, it doesn't necessarily excuse the behaviors if you engage in sort of shit behaviors and, you know, you mistreat people around you, but it certainly helps explain it. And, you know, if that's what your whole life, like you've been told, go win, go be a winner, go be great. Like if you're like, I, you know, I don't know. It's a little bit tough to say like this person made a choice to be an asshole. They made a choice to be great. And the way to be great was to be an asshole. Obviously the Cobb thing with, you know, if it, if the, like the racism and that stuff is true, that's, that's a different story. But the spiking people, like, I don't know, that's baseball. I'm not sure I have a huge problem with somebody who's trying to be the greatest who would do something like that. Like, there's a funny line where he goes, uh, they're talking about Babe Ruth, and he goes, the problem with Babe Ruth is anybody can hit a home run. The art of hitting is dying because of the search for the home run. So they said, oh, come on, Ty, is there anything you you want to say nice about Babe? He goes, ah, he runs pretty well for a fat man. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I really like that. I remember Ichiro Mm -hmm. said uh, a while back, they're like, Ichiro, I don't remember the context, but he said something along the lines of, you know, chicks dig the long ball, <laughs> but he like, or he said like, I could hit a lot. It's like, I could hit a home run anytime I wanted to. I just, it's harder to get, you know, 200 hits in a year or whatever. That's funny that that's still a, like a aspect of baseball today. All right. So I was going to say, did you want to do number seven or did you want to break into something else? First? Well, now is normally the time that we would do our not top three. Oh, beauty. Bill is our special guest. Would you mind queuing in the not top three music for us? Okay, the not top three, here we go! 
<laughs> oh, beautiful. He might need to fold that in. Well, Bill, great work. And, of course, Kevin, stankalicious on the music there. Thank you. Very stanky. Thank for, you, Kevin. For a wonderful cue, great music. This this really, I don't know if the Not Top 3 actually adds anything to the podcast, but the cueing of the Not Top 3 sure does. All right, so my Not Top 3. My number three is a movie about figure skating called The Cutting Edge. Oh, I was hoping you weren't about to say a different figure skating movie because that better be on the tops. <laughs> this is a film that my dad, for whatever reason, loved growing up. <laughs> and it's about a hockey player on like the U.S. Uh, national team who I can't remember exactly why, but he, he gets disenchanted with hockey and he hooks up with a figure skater and they go to the Olympics as a, as a pair. And I really don't, D.B. Sweeney plays the, uh, figure, uh, plays the hockey player. I really don't want to get into it. I want to wipe it from my memory. I saw this movie as well, and it is terrible. I do love, though, the athlete who, like, falls from grace and comes back as a different kind of athlete. That's the best. I love that story. It just sounds like I just want to say, I'm looking right now at the guy who wrote this, or wrote this movie is Tony Gilroy, whose writing credits include the first, all of the Matt Damon born films. Whoa. Uh, Michael Clayton and a co-writing credit for Rogue One. So apparently everybody's got a stinker in them and this was his. <laughs> he goes from Rogue One yeah. to Cutting Edge. I guess he's just cutting his teeth at the beginning. Yeah, that is really something. What a weird guy. <laughs> so it's, it's the type of film I have a good buddy of mine, and it's his younger sister's favorite film. Like, yep. It tends to go the females like it, and that's not to say males can't like it, yeah. but I just find it just cheesy. As hell, right? Oh, it is quite cheesy. It's like a Lifetime movie, or like a Disney Channel original movie, but for adults. So my number two, not top three, is 1948's The Babe Ruth Story, starring William Bendix. Now, when I was in high school in grade 10 in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, we did a uh, research project on Babe Ruth. So I found this movie, and I'm like, I'm all psyched up. It's a Hollywood movie. It's got a, a really good director, and it was just crap. Because what it did is it glossed over the warts of Babe Ruth and just highlighted the good part. Uh. And they threw this movie together because Babe Ruth, by 1948, was on his deathbed. And they wanted this movie out and him watched it before he died. And there's, for example, he had a first wife who he cheated on, drank on, and divorced. They didn't even mention it in the film. <laughs> and, and it was all, you know, that whole scene where he sits by the hospital bed of the dying kid and says, I'm going to hit the home run. And it's the, sh- it's the called shot and all that. And they overplay that stuff. Yeah. It's a well-rounded, soft, glowing film about Babe Ruth. When you really could have done a really hard-hitting, really good film, and they chose not. I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, so I've, I've of course, not seen this movie, but it says here, Critics faulted the film's heavy-handedness and direction, and is said by many to be one of the worst films ever made. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Good for you for discovering that, and good on you for picking up on the fact that it was craptastic. Yeah, well, I, I knew it was craptastic in the early 90s. I was ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's anybody listening who has seen this, give the show a uh, uh, contact, give them an email and say, how bad was this? Film? Yeah, on a scale of minus 5 to minus 10. But my number one, not top three, 
is 1997's Air Bud. <laughs> oh. oh, blasphemy. Blasphemy, sir. Yeah, like that, like absolute, a dog leading a, a youth team to the championship. Oh, I, I, I'm not going any further than that. <laughs> Kyle and I have actually discussed this on the pod, and we're very curious about how that dog did not seriously damage its nose. Um, like, I'm very concerned that that dog broke its nose and at the very least couldn't smell the way a dog could smell after hitting a basketball repeatedly with its face. Yeah. I, 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 I honestly, I don't even think I've ever gotten through the whole thing. I just couldn't watch it. Well, let's just say the climactic scene is is uh, this guy who t- steals the dog or some, or it was his dog before the kid found it or whatever, and the kid set Airbud in the middle between the two of them, and it's a decision of whether Airbud goes to one or the other, and the guy's hitting a newspaper. It's a, it's very dramatic. <laughs> uh, next. All right, so shall we do number seven? Okay, so for number seven, gentlemen, I watched this one last night because I hadn't seen it in a while, Ooh. and it's 1974's The Longest Yard. Oh, mm. Yeah. And I'm not talking about that Adam Sandler version. Right. For anybody that had Adam Sandler pop in your head, wipe that away, because this <laughs> one is a gritty yet funny film in the peak of his glory and his chest hair, Burt Reynolds. <laughs> and what happens is Burt Reynolds comes off at the beginning as kind of a SOB who's sleeping with a woman, but uh, he takes off with her car and he's a professional football player who's been caught in point-shaving scandals, and he's also uh, been uh, nailed with uh, stealing money and stealing vehicles and things, and he takes the police on a police chase. Well, he gets thrown into prison, and the prison warden, played by Eddie Albert, is really big on their semi-pro football team. So the bottom line is, by the end of it, he tries to recruit him to become the head coach of the team, and... Burt Reynolds wants no part. He wants to do his two years in jail or his five years in jail. Get in, get out. And Lee Albert basically says, if you want out in your time, you need to coach this team. So instead of coaching the team, he creates uh, his own prison team to play the cons. The cast is amazing. It's a great ensemble cast. It's got Eddie Albert. It's got Ed Lauder. If you've ever seen Ed Lauder in anything, he's fantastic. James Hampton who you might know as the dad in Teen Wolf. He's in the film. <laughs> um, a young Bernadette Peters, who's a bit of a hottie, but she's got her hair really high up in this one. It's really good. But if they get actual professional football players in this, uh, Joe Cap, who led the Minnesota Vikings to the Super Bowl and played in the CFL, is in this. Uh, Pepper Martin, who played pro football. Ray Nitschke from the Green Bay Packers played pro football. Uh, the actor that played Odd Job in the James Bond film is in this film. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, like he's super tall. He's got the quirky teeth, but scary as heck. It's a really gritty team, and at the end, they have an exhibition game against the guards. I won't give it away. I want you to watch it. It's very much of its era, but it's one of those ones. It's 46 years old. It still holds up fantastically. So if anybody hasn't seen it, Please, please, please go run to your Walmart, check wherever you can, pick up. You'll probably get it in the bargain bin for five bucks. It's worth a watch. Yeah, so you're 100% right. This movie is amazing. Um, it's I actually, I don't hate the Adam Sandler version as much as I would like to, but it's this is just, you know, light years better than that one. 
And you're right. It's funny. I didn't put two and two together about who Ed Lauder was, but I'm on his IMDb page and I forgot he was in this movie. He's awesome in everything he's ever been in. And Burt Reynolds is just like, I don't know, but Burt Reynolds is amazing in everything he's in, but he's just outrageously good in this movie. And probably, I would, I would say at that time, probably the only movie star who could pull off convincing you that he was all of the things that that paul crew was yeah i'm embarrassed to say i haven't seen the original and i like you mike have just seen the the new adam sandler one which again like i actually like that movie a lot but i think it's probably important for me to see that i think burt reynolds makes a cameo in the new one which i didn't realize was he does an homage to the first one i was just gonna say i think homage is a loose term (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's very different like tonally it's a very different movie i think the the original longest yard is is a lot more serious it's funny obviously but it's a lot more serious than the, the adam sandler one but kyle i know bill kind of mentioned this but like i want to reiterate how well this movie holds up i don't remember the last time i saw this movie it's probably a couple years ago but um it's a hundred percent still good it's a really good movie excellent yeah you need to you, you need to check her out all right. And, and, and you know what? It's not necessarily family friendly, but there's nothing ultra offensive about it. It's, no. it's just the quality. No, especially for that time. Right. It's, it's, it's not, it's not like some of those movies All right. where you go and, back num- and go, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, there might be a, a, a slight bit of foul language, a little bit of titillation, but it's really just a yeah. sports movie. Yep. Agreed. So my number six is one I own, I've adored, I've loved, and that's 1977 Slapshot with yeah. Paul Newman. This is another one that doesn't seem like it should work today, but going back, it's still funny. This was one because I, I played hockey. I like, had friends tell me you should watch it because all their dads loved it. Like This was the thing. Like In the hockey community, it's such a tight-knit group. They're all like, oh, that's my dad's favorite movie. And it wasn't my dad's favorite movie, so it took me a long time to see it. And I watched it. It's like, I can't believe that this was the movie they were talking about. I never, I didn't know it was so, like, it was from 1977, and it really translated. Like, all of these kids who were 12 in, you know, the mid-2000s thought this movie was hysterical, and it was. Yeah, like, it's, it, it's, it, it works on a sports movie level, but it's also got many layers to the film. It's, uh, the story, Paul Newman is a veteran hockey player. He's in his probably late 30s, early 40s. He's a player coach for the Charlestown Chiefs in the Federal League, which is, the lowest rung of pro hockey. Uh, the league doesn't exist anymore, but there's different variations of it. But it's it's right down there with the Southern Pro League. Like it's right down there. And the team is in Charleston, South Carolina. The owner is going to move the team. They got an old-time GM who was around when Eddie Shore played in the 40s. He's been <laughs> around forever. And it's got this madcap, crazy motley crew of players that kind of rally together to get the team to a level that they have no point being at. But it's a, a story as much about the town and what goes on in the town as it is about the team. But having said that, you can't uh, not talk about the Hanson brothers. You can't. Who are absolutely cult figures. This is one of the top five cult movie films of all time. And the, and the, and the actual screen time that the Hanson brothers get is maybe five minutes. But you're never going to forget... It took my quarter. It took my fucking quarter. Here's my coach, you know. And they're and they're getting ready to play, and they're taping um, aluminum foil around their knuckles. And Paul Newman walks over and says, "What the hell are you boys doing? We're wrapping our fingers. We're wrapping our fingers, coach. Do you want some? 
No, no, boys, you just leave it. You're fine. It's it's a great. It, it's got the, the the strong accent of the goaltender from from uh, Trois Rivières, Quebec. You've got the owner who talks about a story about a player who wanted to go to the penalty box because he's a chronic masturbator and wanted two minutes to himself. <laughs> like this is a story that's just off the wall, but at the same time dark. M. Uh, uh, G. Emmett Walsh plays the um, uh, guy in town who's the journalist. And he does a small but really good role. It's dark. It's got some very much of its time. But I think it needs to be seen. I was actually just going to bring up uh, Emmett Walsh, too, because I was looking through the cast, and I, I he's amazing. He's a, he's a character actor who you've seen in a million different things, um, and he's great in this movie. Paul Newman, of course, is Paul Newman. Michael Antkeen, um is fantastic. He's the sheriff, uh, Sheriff Harry Truman from uh, Twin Peaks, and he's in a bunch of stuff that you've seen, and he's awesome. Oh. Like This movie's just fantastic. And looking, I'm looking at the uncredited folks, and um, Bruce Boudreaux, the former head coach of the Washington Capitals, who's now the head coach of nothing. I guess he's out of the league right now, but he coached the Ducks a couple years ago, um, was, I guess, yeah, in this oh, movie. Yeah, Bru- like yeah Boudreaux was there, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, he talks about it on uh, sports interviews and says, what a wild, wild crew this was. Yeah. It's cool because it really gets the language and sort of like weirdness of hockey in a way that I think is cool. Like, I think other sports, I can't think of another sport I've sort of been involved with or been a fan of that is as strange as hockey. It's such a weird insular community. Um and it just it lends itself to people like nutty Hanson brother types who wrap their hands in in like aluminum foil. It's just a weird, strange group, and this movie kind of got that before its time, I think. And there's a, there's a character called Mo Wanchuk, played by Brad Sullivan, who's the sleaziest, slimiest, but he's as hilarious as anything. He's a scene stealer. Every scene he's in, he's fantastic. Have you seen this one, Kyle? No, my ho- unfortunately my hockey. Um my hockey film filmology is not as uh, long as I would hope. I think there's a couple I've seen that I wonder if we'll talk about at some point, but I haven't seen Slapshot. Oh shit. Brad, Brad Sullivan, the guy you were just talking about is, um, is the guy who, uh, who, uh, Elliot Ness pushes off the, the roof. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I, I, I went up to this girl and the bartender, she rubs up against me. Her nipples were as hard as rocks. Hard as rocks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a, oh, my God. I, I never put that together that that's who that was. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I played hockey from the time I was five to the time I was 16. So there's a bit of a relation for me with that. But I, I realized I was only playing house league. I wasn't making the NHL. And I got tired of getting up at 6 a.m. for practice. <laughs> <laughs> So my top my top five are were pretty much always in my top five. It was the order that I wanted to jiggle them around. Mm, yeah, and you always have to stretch. Is this a sports movie? Is this not? Number five is 1984. Is the Karate Kid? Ah, uh. and I'm not going to go over the whole one. Everybody knows uh, Daniel and Mr. Miyagi and wax on, wax off, paint the fence, wax the car, all that kind of stuff. But it's a good rallying point. It's a it's, it hits a lot of people at my age. Hit them when they were 10, 11, 12. It kind of bridged that gap from adolescent to adulthood. You kind of in that prepubescent, whatever. But it's, you know, like the, Mr. Miyagi is timeless. 
And what they show is, they show him warts and all, because there's a scene where he gets drunk, and he's thinking about his war buddies and his wife back home. It shows the, the you know, the Cobra Kai, the evil. And it was funny, just before I came on, 20 minutes before I, I joined you guys, I listened to the song, You're the best around. No one's going to ever take you down. You know, and they show that montage, you know. It's and, a great, you know, and, that's an all-time montage. And, and, and Daniel gets hurt, his leg gets hurt, and he says, oh, fix me up. You know, and he kind of, okay. And he touches him on the inner thigh or whatever. And he, it's a film that, if you don't like sports, you still like it. If you like sports, you like it. Even if you just like a rom-com. It's almost an, uh, a pre-20s rom-com. It's really, yeah. it's, a, it's a great This is an all-time classic. I think the only... We've done this before, Mike, like when we've talked about, I think when we did our like best fictional athletes, like we include martial artists and wrestlers and boxers and like all of that kind of stuff, like all considered as, as sports. So like this very much qualifies as a sports movie. I think belongs this high. Yeah, it's a great movie. And it's funny. It's it's an interesting movie to go back um, and watch now in that I think most movies at this time where you're like bringing in um you know an asian character who's going to be like the you know the guru who's going to teach the young like white dude they're usually really sort of like clumsy and and like often kind of offensive when you look back this movie was not at all i don't think that way i think it was really like interesting and respectful and they made mr miyagi a really layered character and his relationship with daniel was really like sweet and genuine um and i i if you remember i mean I'm, i'm sure you do but like the the Ralph Macchio character, his life sucked. He was in like a pretty dark place when he moves to. I, what, I forget where he moves to, but yeah, somewhere in California. Oh, no, Reseda. Yeah, he's he's like outside of L.A. He's like a total stranger who's really you know insecure because he's a teenager. Uh, he doesn't have a dad around. Um, he's just like having in the and they live in like a you know a crappy apartment complex, and it's really cool to see Mr. Miyagi like be his father figure. And I'm looking right now. Yeah, Pat Morita was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, to think that was the same actor that played Al in Happy Days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's really wonderful movie. It's 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 kind of crazy how much it it holds up. I'm like I'm like pretty blown away by how how good this movie still is. Like it's got a little bit of the cheese factor. It's yeah, like, but but a soft cheese. It's more like your. Uh, Emmental versus your hard cheddar. <laughs> I think that's the perfect description of the level of cheese. And I think, but I do think it's one of those movies that, um, I, I didn't see the remake and I did hear good things about the remake of it, but I think it's one of those movies that it rests so heavily on the, the kind of the chemistry and the awesome connection between Pat Morita and Ralph Macchio that it's just, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to picture it working sort of in another context. Cause I don't know. They're just they're just so wonderful. Their 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 relationship is is the heart of this movie. So what what is your childhood memories of this one, Kyle? I don't remember the first time that I saw it, but and I've only seen it like a couple of times. Like this isn't one that I watched like on loop by any means. But because um, because I think AMC makes a living playing this movie. <laughs> they do. <laughs> it's weird that I didn't see it. We didn't have cable for a really long time growing up, so like. Um, my like childhood movie repertoire was like pretty much limited to what we had on VHS and we didn't have karate kid. So I don't have like quite as a, uh, like my, 
nostalgia or like my fondness for the movie isn't quite the same as like someone who'd seen it a lot as a kid, but I really like it. Like, I think you're right. Like a lot of times with this like style of movie that is appealing to children, it gets really cheesy. And, but the way you, there's never been a better descriptor of anything. The way you describe the cheesiness of this movie, it's just right. I think this is probably my grandfather's favorite movie. So this was like, I had a real emotional connection to this. And actually I saw this after, this is going to be, I'm probably the only person who did this. I saw this after I saw the next Karate Kid with Hilary Swank. That was the movie I really liked as a kid. Like for some reason that stuck into my grandparents' VHS collection and I loved the next Karate Kid. Probably because it was like Hilary Swank was just such an ass kicker. And then I eventually was like, all right, I guess I'll see the Karate Kid. And it, I it's kind of interesting that like that reminds me of Star Wars and that like people our age yeah. saw the Phantom Menace in theaters and like that's how we love Star Wars. And now there's like the new trilogy. And I think this kind of works the same way because I know of some people who have seen Cobra Kai, the 2018 one, and they're like, this is the fucking greatest thing ever. And then you say, oh, if you think this is great, go watch the Karate Kid. And then it introduces people to like, Obviously, there's not, like, 12 movies like there is for Star Wars, but it's the same kind of, like, generational thing where you can access it at different points, but the appreciation is the same. And the thing is, it's got so many iconic scenes and sayings that, you know, like, when you say wax on, wax off, everybody knows what the hell you're talking about. That's cultural. You know? You know, and everybody knows that it, when you're when you're standing on the beach and somebody is looking like a crane, you know what they're doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or the grasshopper. <laughs> Grasshopper, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so my number, my number four. Some people will argue should be number one. Uh, I don't know if it's fatigue or you know, like the acting is, you know, it's good, but it's not the best, and that's Rocky. I wondered. Nineteen seventy-six. And I don't get me wrong. I think it's an amazing story. If you ever read the backstory and how this film got made, Sylvester Stallone had this script in his uh, bag of uh, movie things going around to the different uh, companies for years. He couldn't get the thing made. He had to knock on doors, and I think he eventually got enough money to get the thing made. But, I mean, it's really the... I think it's the penultimate underdog story. And it's, you know, little Italian guy who fights underground fights for 20 years, you know, in CD clubs and whatever, and Apollo Creed comes and says, picks the one guy out of the, uh, you know, you're one of us, you know, we're going to pick somebody who you don't think is going to get the chance, gets him out of nowhere, you're going to fight for the world's championship. And that whole dynamic with uh, Talia Shire and Paul Young, I think, is brilliant in this film. Brilliant. Paulie. And, and, I mean, I can still, anytime somebody says they're going to go out running, I say, make sure you catch that chicken. Because that scene (laughs) is just bloody amazing. And, and beating up a side of beef. And I think he was ahead of Jack LaLanne when drinking protein, because he just ate the, the, oh, the egg My dad did that the, in imitation as a kid. Yeah. I mean, all, everybody now is charging four ninety five for a protein bar. Just buy a fucking dozen eggs. <laughs> and I, I have gone to Philly, and I have run the stairs up the art gallery. And, you know, it is a bit of a trek. Like, you know, like, it is a good inspirational quality film, and anybody who watches it wants to all of a sudden go to Gold's Gym and all of a sudden start beating themselves up. I think that, I think that is what is so like endearing about this movie is that like it's, 
a lot of these, it's like, it's, I think it's what you were saying, like, does this movie stick with you? And like, this movie has a way of sticking with you, like, not just the next day, but like, it like really tempered, like, it really affects the way that you pursue, I think, at least for me, like, subtly, this movie influences how you pursue sports or exercising or working out at all. Like, <laughs> this movie is so inspirational that it can influence my run, my weeknight run, like, 15 years later when I'm getting tired and I need a little bit of juice, like this movie can still do that. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's like sometimes movies can kind of rise above their actual quality because of the, the feelings that they leave behind. I think that this is one of those kinds of movies. I don't know. I don't know enough about the history of boxing movies to kind of know with like how big of a genre this was before Rocky, but it's clear the influence it's had in how many movies have been made since that have been trying to be Rocky. But what I think is is really cool about this movie is that, and and no spoilers, but like the movie is really very much not about the fight and whether or not Rocky wins. It's about how scary it is to have dreams. And and Rocky's a guy who gave up a long time ago on having any sort of dreams. And the movie's just about like what a risk it is to try to to succeed at something, to try to have a relationship with Adrian, to try to like you know, stop being a, a thumb breaker and instead actually be something that he could be. Um, and I, I love that because that's like a pretty timeless theme. And I think um, that to me is what resonates most is this guy who's, he's not just a, he's not a loser because he can't be a winner. He's a loser because he's too scared to be a winner. And it's cool to see him recognize the potential in himself. And that, I mean, how can you not get psyched by that? And what I like about it though, is it also has a very soft touching moment. When he's in his apartment and you realize how poorly he lives Ugh. and he's got that fur coat that he's going to wear that fur coat in hell and high water and he works as a, a money man for the mafia and, and then when he's, when he's just holding Adrian in bed, like he's not trying to make love to her. He's just trying to hold her and like you can tell, yes, Rocky or Stallone comes off as this big dumb oaf at times, but he had some chops that he kind of, subtly put into that film those scenes in the pet shop are are some of my favorites like seeing him just like with those stupid fingerless gloves just like petting the bird or petting you know the animals yeah. and he's just awesome he's so good in this movie and i think you know this is certainly no hot take i think talia shire is a truly atrocious actress um i love her i love her uh i love her in the godfather and i love her in this movie but with the understanding that she's doing a bad job acting but she's so like I don't care. I like, I can overlook how she's just sitting there like mousily being so quiet. Cause you can, you can tell how much she and Rocky love each other. And, and uh, her relationship with her brother is, is amazing. And it's just great. Polly, everybody's favorite drunk. Yeah. And, 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 and I would remiss to talk about the, uh, experience the experience, the performance of Burgess Meredith. Burgess Meredith. Fantastic. And how he, he scorns him at the beginning, and he kind of wraps him back. And nobody in this character, in this story, is a good overall perfect character. Everybody's got their warts. Everybody's got their little, you know, their quirks and idiosyncrasies. But it seems to work. And I, we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge what Carl Weathers looked like in this movie. Holy hell. Oh. <laughs> he's like he's like when they laugh, you know how much baby oil they put on him and he's just shining in the sun. Oh my god. It also like Rocky came, you know, we're talking about sort of the cultural impact. 
it gave rise to one of my favorite Eddie Murphy bits about like Italian people going to see Rocky in theaters and getting into fights with black people going to see Rocky at theaters. It's just, it's an amazing bit. And him doing the, hey, Rocco! Is one of my favorite Eddie Murphy moments. I bet everybody watches this on New Year's Eve, goes, gets their uh, membership at the gym. Yeah. Yep. And by, by March 12th, they haven't gone it's back. <laughs> Bill, have you seen Creed? Uh, no, I haven't seen it. I would I would recommend it highly. It's really, really good, and it's in the spirit of... In the spirit of? It's, yeah. it's really, really good. I, I, I think I, I, ta- I stopped watching them after the Tommy Morrison one. Yeah. That's, like, that's no, five, done. right? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Ivan Drago was, was. Ivan Drago was three or four. Four, four. four. Three four. was Clubber Lang. Mr. T. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, that was, that was uh, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Oh wait. wait. Hulk Hogan was he or was he two? No, he was. I thought Mr. T was Clubber Lang, and that was three. Yeah, he no, is. no, Mr. T was Clubber Lang, but there was one of them where okay. Hulk Hogan is in it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever that was, that's clearly at the time when things started to slow down in quality. Uh, but Creed is really worthwhile. It's really good. And it's a good Michael B. Jordan movie. All right. So my number three, I originally had it number six. Okay. And I watched it. The, I watched it the other night, and I was like, I hadn't seen it in probably the turn of the century. <laughs> and oh my god, The Hustler, nineteen sixty one, Paul Newman. <laughs> now. The only gist with it is you have to argue that pool is a sport. <laughs> I'm but good anybody with that. That's played, anybody that has played pool before, like I wouldn't call myself a pool shark by any means, but in your teenage years and in your 20s at college, what have you, you know, you play lots of pool. And this is as good and dark and gritty a sports film as well acted as you're going to get. And Paul Newman plays Fast Eddie Felsner, who's a, a, a pool shark. He goes from pool room to pool room, making his 200 bucks or whatever it is. But Jackie Gleason plays Minnesota Fats. And he's the one that he's... He's like the Super Bowl of pool guys. And at the beginning, they play... Oh, what is it? A 26-hour pool game. Oh. And at the beginning, Paul Newman at one point is up $18,000 in 1960. Yeah. <laughs> and by the end of the game... 26 hours later, they've each drank a couple fifths of whiskey. They, you know, they're oozing. <laughs> they're falling asleep at their chairs. At the end of the game, Paul Newman is pulling out two, two $100 bills, and uh, uh, Jackie Gleason is just saying, hey, kid, we're done. And and the rest of the film is Eddie Felsner fall, to gr- fall from grace and rise back up to try to get back at Minnesota Fats. And Piper Laurie plays a love interest that he gets involved in, and uh, George C. Scott is involved in it, and anybody that has not seen The Hustler, it's a film noir of the sports genre. Dark, gritty, dirty, not like not dirty as in sexual, dirty as in gritty film, but boy, will it hit you. So I have to confess the, this very shameful fact, which is that I have actually seen The Color of Money, but I have not seen Hustler. <laughs> I have not seen The Hustler. It's but I've seen Color of Money, which was awesome as well. If your grandfather is still alive, sit down and watch it with him. Okay. He will, he will extol the virtue of Paul Newman. It is absolute I think it was up for multiple Academy Awards 
the only ones that won, I think, were for the art direction and the writing, but all of the main players in it were all nominated. And it was one of those ones where Paul Newman was given the Academy Award in 86 for Color of Money, because he should have got it in 61 for the Hustle. Yeah. Man, I, I'm feeling like a dope now. I don't know. I think my dad and I watched The Color of Money together, and I, I actually really liked it. Uh, and now I just feel like an idiot for not having seen this, because you, your pitch is fantastic. Have you seen this one, Kyle? No, I haven't. In fact, I haven't even seen The Color of Money, so I, I really don't have a like to stand on here. And, and what the beauty of it is, is that you don't need to know much about pool. Because yeah. at that time mm-hmm. in 1960, the, the best player in the world was a guy called uh, uh, Willie Mascani. And Willie Mascani uh, was um, uh, somebody who helped them out in the film. And he actually did some of the trick shots. You can, if you really look close at the hands, it's his hand taking a couple of the trick shots. Oh, wow. But... Apparently, the story goes that Paul Newman, before this film, wasn't a pool player at all. He was married. Uh, he was, he went home. He bought a pool table, took the kitchen table out of his kitchen room, put the pool table in there, and for hours incessantly played pool. So he felt competent to play. That's method acting. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't extol the virtues of the hustler enough. Please go see them. Okay. I'm sold. I'm completely sold. Yeah, I have to watch this post haste. And it's really cool. If you can ever get the poster of the film and stick it in your living room and and frame it up, you're instantly cool. Oh. I was gonna say, I, you. Uh, well, first of all, I just looked at the movie poster and it's awesome. Second of all, given that rush flag behind you, I trust you implicitly. I think you know a thing or two about hanging some memorabilia to make your room cooler. Like, like you get you get a poster of John Coltrane's Blue Note. And then you get a poster of the hustler. It's a panty dropper. Like this is it's awesome. If I, oh, that's amazing. That's gonna be. I'm gonna have to write that down for whenever I have a basement in my home. That's like a great thing to have next to a pool table. The hustler. Oh, poster. I'm looking at the <laughs> the the call train you were talking about. That's amazing. Right beside the dogs playing poker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah those two back to back. So my number two is one. I absolutely adore, and I sure hope to God you two have seen 1986's. This uh, this movie this movie is probably one of the best casts of like a, a sports movie I've ever seen. Oh, Barbara Hershey is great. Gene Hackman is amazing. Dennis Hopper steals every scene he's in. And uh, he's perfect. He's like literally perfect in this movie. Chev Woolley plays a great role in this. If you guys don't know who Chev Woolley, he did the one-eyed, one-eyed. Flying horned purple people leader. Oh, that's Chef <laughs> what? And he's yep. in this film. He, it's about a small town in Indiana, 1951, and they're from uh, what is it, Hickory, Hickory, Indiana. Yep. The school, mm-hmm. the school has 64 people, and uh, Hackman comes in as kind of a formerly disgraced college coach who's had a physical abuse problem with a, a college team 10 years ago. He's been uh, working in the military since then, and he comes in to coach a high school team in small, like small town Indiana. And they've got a player called Jimmy, who is not on the team initially. He's a little bit out there, but everybody in town knows you need to get this guy involved. And, he, and Hackman comes in a little bit gruff, he finds a love interest, not at the beginning, in Barbara Hershey. 
and it's a rallying point to get the team, just to get the team together, and then to get them playing, and then they find themselves on a magical run. But the acting is so bloody strong, it literally brings a tear to your eye at a certain point. Like, it's... I, I can't extol the virtues of Hoosiers enough. Yeah, I shamefully have not seen Hoosiers, especially especially shameful considering I grew up near, very, very near Indiana. Oh, Kyle, watch it tomorrow. Yeah, what oh. did you think about it, Mike? Oh, I loved Hoosiers. I So I saw this one a little bit late. I want to say it was like 18 maybe. Um, and I remember watching it on like a Saturday afternoon. I think it might have been on AMC. It was on TV for sure. Um, so it just like we it popped up and we ended up watching it. And I don't I don't know why I didn't see it until that age because I would have loved it when I was younger. But I was blown away. I, and I think I was old enough to have seen Gene Hackman in a few other things. And I knew I really liked him. And I just like you said, Dennis Hopper is a scene stealer, but Gene Hackman is just like pretty incredible in this film. And there's so many classic things about this movie, like the the scene where they're in the gym for the state tournament and he's got the tape measure and, you know, he's me- taking the measurements of the court. is just like, yes, that's sort of, I guess, a hokey sports movie move, but it was so good. It's so effective. They they stole it in Parks and Recreation. Like they I remember when Leslie's doing a debate and Ben brings out a tape measure and is like, oh, same height as the, the podium at, you know, Town Hall or whatever. And it's just so embedded in people's cultural memory. And I think if you ask 100 people what's the best sports movie, you're going to get, you know, at least 30 of them are going to say Hoosiers. Yeah, I mean, it's good. There's lots of interplay among the characters on the team. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Hopper plays an alcoholic. He needs to be reformed, and he helps out coach the team. And his son is on the team. There's the interplay between the son and the dad. There's the interplay between the principal and Hackman. There's the interplay between Barbara Hershey and Hackman. There's the townspeople. And I will say this. It is very, very family-friendly. There's not a swear word. You won't see a nipple. You're not going to see any blood. It's I can see the, anybody on the Christian right, anybody on the far left, regardless of your yeah. creed, faith, or whatever. <laughs> this is can be shown in church. This can be shown to grandma. You're all gonna cheer for this. Yeah, totally agreed. It it just it cuts across all sorts of boundaries. I I, I don't know the, how you could recommend a movie more highly than this one. There's there's basically no, a zero percent chance that the person you recommend it to won't won't really like it. No, I mean, really, in this in this day and age we're living in right now, with the drive-in reigns supreme, this would be perfect to play at the drive-in. Ooh. Oh, it would be. Oh man, this would be such a great drive-in movie. I was gonna say, could you? I mean, could you have Rocky and Hoosiers, and everybody by the end of it is just running out of their, <laughs> yeah. their car, and they're all speeding out of the end. Everyone leaves their car and <laughs> runs home. <laughs> Everybody yeah. puffs their chest and thinks they're the next, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, the only problem is the Hoosiers film might dampen the alcohol sales a little bit, which is what I think these, uh, these drive-ins <laughs> are depending on. Oh, in Canada, we can't sell it at the at there, but... Touche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, but the sales of Sprite go up, so... Uh, <laughs> that's, that's true. The margins are probably higher on that sugar water. All right, so I am wondering if I know what number one is. I think I do, but I, I'm curious... Yeah, absolutely. It's it, you know, it, I can't say it enough. But my number one was never ever in doubt. So I'm going to do my best Neil Peart drum solo. <laughs> 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 my number one is 1988's 
Bull Durham. I I love Bull Durham. It's a personal thing. Uh, I like minor league baseball. I like the acting. I think that Kevin Costner is brilliant in this film. I think the interplay with Tim Robbins, Susan Sarandon, it's, you know, it's a, a bit of a rom-com love story on one side, not just of women and the opposite sex, but also a love story on baseball. Yeah. It's for the baseball purist, this film. And what happens is Tim Robbins is Nick Lelouch. Uh, or, uh, yeah, Nick, uh, the, what do they call him? Nuke. Nick, um, Nuke. Nuke Lelouch. He gives himself that nickname. Or <laughs> uh, Susan Sarandon gives it to him while they're in the middle of one of their many sessions. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. But he's the next up-and-coming Roger Clemens, Dwight Gooden. He's got a golden arm. He's signed for a lot of money. But he's wild. Wild as anything. And Crash Davis, played by Kevin Costner, is brought in by the team and by the major league organization to kind of rein this kid in and get him to where he needs to be to get up to the major. And Susan Sarandon plays a woman who each year beds one of the players and kind of leads them along. But she's not just in it for the sex. She's in it to enrich her mind, enrich his mind, and kind of get him to where they need to get. And I, one of the things I was looking up before we started and I wanted to talk about was there was a, a speech that Bull Durham gives, at, uh, or Crash Davis gives at the beginning. Because at the beginning, Susan Sarandon says, okay, both of you boys come back. And Tim Robbins is, Ooh, you know, he's very sexually charged. And, and Kevin Costner's kind of, uh, okay, I'll go back. And she says, okay, boys, fight over me, you know, or we're both going to go to bed together. And, and uh, Kevin Costner says, no, 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 no. I'm 36 years old. I don't fight for women, you know, whatever. And she says, why? And this is his speech. He goes, well, I believe in the soul, the yada yada, the small of a woman's back, the hanging curveball, high fiber, good scotch, that the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than on Christmas Eve, and I believe in the long, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days. Good night. And he crashes the door. That sums up this film. Yeah. It is inspirational. It is a hell of a lot of fun. If you like baseball, you'll love it. If you don't like baseball and you just want a rom-com with your boyfriend or husband, you'll love it. To me, this is my go-to sports film. Well, yeah, it's funny that the, the quote that you chose has absolutely nothing to do with baseball. And yeah, no, not at yeah. all. And I think that's telling. Like this is a this is a baseball movie, but it's also not like you've been saying with a lot of these. Yeah, I think I'm glad that you picked this as number one because there's a. I think that there's a, a like a realistic argument you could make for a couple of different movies in this slot, like even other baseball movies. And I think this is a good one to pick because it's like counterintuitively it's not super reliant on like the baseball tropes but it's still a good baseball movie which is a hard line to walk i think it gets like in its baseball movie credentials is that it gets that there is a, a just a eternity between minor leagues and major leagues and i think that's something that like a lot of like in a in a less sports heavy movie it wouldn't kind of get that that's legitimately a driving force for somebody's entire character like it is for crash 
which I think is really cool. And I think that's part of what makes the sports so legitimate in this movie. And it's not just like a rom-com with sports in it. I have to admit that I think while I do love this movie, I'm a little bit swayed by my just my love of Kevin Costner. Like I could have watched Kevin Costner at this time in his career, you know, painting a room white. I just I love Kevin Costner so much that um, like no matter the movie, I would have loved it because I just think he's he's fantastic. And at this time was on such a heater, like such a crazy hot streak of good movies. Like, there's one scene I love where they kind of question, who does this guy think he is? He's been in the minors 12 years. He's never been anywhere. He goes, I spent 21 glorious days in the show. And they all of a sudden just, you know, you go to a hotel, they carry your bag. You know? You get an actual meal, not something thrown at you from the bus at the burger joint. Like, And, the, and they all just drop their jaws. But there's another scene where um, uh, Tim Robbins is playing his guitar at the back. And he's, and he's playing Otis Redding's Try a Little Tenderness. And he's butchering it. And at one point he goes, women do get woolly. And Kevin Costner goes, women don't get woolly. Women get weary. What the hell are you doing? And a big fight breaks in. And it's, it's very telling of the immaturity versus what he thinks he is versus where, where he needs to get. And I think that's really the interplay of the movie. Where you think the movie's going to go is not necessarily where the movie goes. Yeah. Uh, it's a great pick for number one. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the right pick as sort of a representation of all that a sports movie can do and all that, like you can use sports to, to do in, in your storytelling. So I, I, I'm very comfortable with this as number one. And, uh, there's one quote I loved right at the beginning, um, where Nick Lelouch is, uh, having a little bit of fun in the back room with one of the women before his very first start. And it's Susan Sarandon's friend. And they're sitting behind the dugout. And she says, oh, come on, give it up. How is he back there? And she goes, well, he fucks like he pitches. Sort of all over the place. (laughs) 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 And that kind of encapsulates Tim Robbins in a heart. Yeah. Tim Robbins um, interviewed with Bill Simmons last year. And they talk a lot about this movie and how it, I think it was right at the beginning of his actual marriage with Susan Sarandon and... So if you want some backstory on this movie, go listen to Tim Robbins on Bill Simmons. It was a good interview. Yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. Bill yeah. Simmons is an interesting guy. He's great. Yeah, I am going to listen to that, I think. That's a that's a good rec. Um, okay, so that was Bill's top ten list. We are getting long here, but I know, Bill, you, sa- you said you have some honorable mentions. Do you want to quickly I rattle just, through I just, those? I'll, I'll quickly run through. I'll quickly Perfect. run through. Uh, I was going to have this at number ten. I changed it last night. 1993's Cool Runnings. Oh, love that movie. Saw that in the theater. Anything with John Candy, uh, God bless his soul. I loved it. Amen. Uh, Great pick. I also had 2000's The Replacements. Shane Falco. Yeah. A better movie than it should be. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Number number three, The Bad News Bears, 1976. Okay, I was going to say, make sure we're talking the old one. Yeah. Yep. Number four, it's questionable whether it's a sports movie, but I had to put on Caddyshack. That's a sports movie. From 1980. And 90, uh, number five, I quickly will say, do you consider poker a sport? Because if you do, the Cincinnati Kid from 1965 with Steve McQueen and Anne Margaret and Edward G. Robinson has to be seen. That's a good pick. I was going to say if we're clowning poker, we should talk about rounders. But uh, I think that poker is... A... As long as it wasn't Maverick. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
I think poker is slightly adjacent to sports. It's very... It is adjacent to sports, but there is a competitive spirit. That's yeah. true. That's It's a lot of the same tropes. A lot of the same themes. I, I was going to say, I almost put in Mystery Alaska. Yes. Uh, we love Mystery Alaska on this pod, so I'm I'm comfortable with that being an honorable. Yeah. And I, I almost put Invincible with Mark Wahlberg. That's one that's so cheesy and such a such a rocky ripoff, but I really like it. Yeah. Now, I had five movies that I had where I wanted to include in the list. I In, in my own heart, I could not because they're not sports, but there was an element or an angle of sports to them that have to be mentioned. Oh, okay. Number five, Teen Wolf. Michael J. Fox down the down the court hair hanging out of him. Number four, now this is a stretch. 1993's Alive, where the Uruguayan rugby team crashes their plane and they have to eat each other. <laughs> Wait, can I tell you my Alive story? Can I tell you my Alive story? So I was in a class, uh, and it was a management class in college, and it was this professor who was well known for like just talking about the old days, but like not actually teaching anything. And so we watched like clips from from City Slickers, Tin Cup, like the most random shit. Um, cause it was basically just like a, a blow off class. And we watched a clip from that movie alive and a kid in the class raises his hand and his uncle was on the plane and was one of the people who ate other people. Cool. That is awesome. And you know what? There's a, a low, there's a low grade because I'm a horror guy. There's a low grade, uh, I think it's a Mexican or Central American film. It's more accurate than that. That's available there on the internet. But this is the Hollywood. This is the Hollywood ish up version yep. of that story. Number three was Back to School, 1986, with Triple Lindy, with Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, oh I, I do. That's a great movie. That's we. I actually think we might have watched clips from that in that class too. My dad <laughs> loves that movie. Number two, Naked Gun, the uh, baseball scene at the end. Nice. It, that's a good and my number one I honestly had this in my top ten but could not justify it is 1992's Digstown with James Woods Lou Gossett Jr. Bruce Dern Oliver Platt and a young Heather Graham wow I haven't seen that but that's an incredible cast yeah wow oh it's it's really good James Wood is a shyster a pure out and out shyster and he sets up a boxing match with uh, Lou Gossett Jr. playing a boxer and there's a guy in this small town USA who's a boxer who he fights him up against. Huh. And it's all about the shyster. It's almost like, have you seen um, uh, uh, The Sting? Oh, yeah. In the early 60s. It's very much a more modern version of The Sting involving boxing. I'm in. And it's my, my buddy Jason, his brother Adam, it's his favorite all-time film. Wow. James Woods, James Woods, I find either really great. You see him in Videodrome or you see him... So, or he's just absolute crap. Here he's at the top of his game. So Digstown, not sports, but it is sports adjacent. I mean, that sounds great. Wow. All right, Kyle, you want to mention if we're a couple? talking about movies that are, Well, two that are just movies with great sports scenes are like that are kind of sports adjacent. Top Gun has like the super famous volleyball scene, which I love. <laughs> and then... Uh, and then Point Break is, like, kind of sports adjacent. Oh, Point Break. Yeah. Keanu Reeves, Patrick Swayze. Yeah, it's, like, it's not at all, like, any of these movies. It doesn't have any similar themes to it. But it's just, like, it is it's an extreme sports movie. 
I have a lot here. I think I'll only talk about the ones that I'm like pretty ser- like really am serious about. And I, it's these skew uh, more recent, obviously. But the Sandlot, I think, uh, is one of the great like baseball movies. One of my personal favorites is The Natural with um, Oh, The Natural yep. with uh, uh, Robert Redford with Paul Newman. Oh wait, and not Paul Newman. Sorry, Robert yeah. Redford. Okay, shot in Buffalo. Yeah. I is this is I fucking love Miracle. I wish that I had been around for the actual Miracle on Ice, but I now which version, the Kurt Russell or the Carl Malden? The Kurt Russell one. I've not seen the other. <laughs> yeah, the, the the original one came out as a major TV movie like in 1981, right after it. Oh, oh wow! Carl, Carl Malden plays Herb Brooks. Interesting. That's cool. Um, I don't know if this would count. The Fighter is like a it's. Boxing movie. Um, have you seen it, Bill? I think that counts. I I would call that. Yeah, that's a great movie. Christian Bale and uh, Mark Wahlberg. Field of Dreams. As long as we're on the subject of yeah. Kevin Costner, I just find, I I find that it's got a little too much Velveeta cheese for me. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but if you build it, they will come. They will. Uh, a couple of really goofy ones. Uh, Kingpin. Have you seen Kingpin, Bill? Yes, 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 yes. Yep, yep. I thought you were going to say The Big Lebowski. (laughs) (laughs) That's a sports-adjacent movie. Over the line! Space Jam is really goofy, uh, but that's... Uh, I almost put Space Jam in my not-top. Well, I guess it's just... I guess it's just timing, because like I saw that when I was very much into Looney Tunes and Michael Jordan as a kid, and so it's a classic for me. And then the word... This one is very near and dear to my our own hearts because of our uh our college uh but rudy which rudy has some historical inaccuracies in it but for me it's like borderline more inspiring uh and gets me more amped up even than rocky so i fucking love rudy the one movie that everybody is screaming in their phones for that i did not mention was raging bull Mm, yeah yeah raging bull is as good a movie as you got but i haven't seen it in so long that I couldn't accurately comment on it. But I reserve judgment to include Raging Bull because Robert De Niro's Jake LaMotta is fantastic in that film. So I what put that you, on. I, had, I just had two that I put as... Um, I haven't seen it, but I've heard great things. So Raging Bull is one that's been on my list to see forever and I've heard amazing things. I've also heard that the movie Goon was really good where um, Sean William Scott plays a, uh, a minor league hockey enforcer. Um, and I've heard it's actually really good. Hmm. So those are two I haven't seen. One that's ridiculous but I love is Never Back Down. It's that stupid MMA movie where John Hunsu <laughs> plays like the old MMA guy. Uh, it's really dumb, but it's got a uh, young, beautiful Amber Heard in it, and I, I liked that one. Um, on the two that I don't think – I don't know if they count as – well, one, it definitely doesn't count as a sports movie, Moneyball. So Moneyball I don't think counts as a sports movie. It's more sports mm. adjacent, but I do – adore that movie and then million dollar baby i haven't seen in too long to remember how much boxing there actually was in that movie but that was a remarkable movie i think probably doesn't quite qualify because i don't think it's sportsy enough um but i love that one then on the list of um of ones that i think should seriously be considered i agree with kyle i think the fighter is great and i i actually do think it's sportsy enough to count the movie The Rookie with Dennis Quaid, that's a little schmaltzy, but I, I love that movie, and I think it's it's really, like, well done. I Warrior was amazing. I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but that's the one with Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton, and uh, Nick Nolte plays their dad, 
so Tommy Reardon is the Tom Hardy character, and he's a uh, he's just come back from I think he's in Iraq. He's a Marine, and he's like this this hero. Um, and his older brother Brendan is played by Joel Edgerton, and they're both mixed martial artists. Um, it's it's like a pretty fantastic film. So I would be pretty serious about including that one. So I, I would stump for uh, Warrior and Miracle. I think for for legitimate inclusion in this. I was going to say, the only other one that I thought of that I didn't talk about was uh, 61, where it was... That uh, is a good movie. Yeah, the, the chase for Babe Ruth 61 by Roger Maris mm. and all the stuff that he had to deal with and all the death threats and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I actually really like that movie. Oh, a, one, a couple more that just occurred to me. A couple more that just occurred to me that at least bear mentioning are uh, Remember the Titans and A League yep. of Their Own. I think both of those at, le- yeah. at least should be mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, League of Their Own, I like, but I'm not a huge Madonna actress fan. Mm. And that's what kind of dragged it down a little bit. Although I think she does a decent job in it. Tom Hanks is very strong. And John Lovitz is fantastic in that movie. Okay. Um, I don't know, Mike. We could do. We could try to do a little rearranging. So you said you're serious about which ones? Well, I was actually just going to say, maybe we just register our thoughts and um, be comfortable with the list as it is. Mm-hmm. That's fine with me. I really because yeah, I know at the end of each show, you guys always kind of change them up a bit depending upon. I think, I think in this case, just because of our our length and the fact that at least for me, like my experience with a lot of the movies on this list is non-existent, and so I'd have a hard time playing with too much of it because I haven't seen a lot of it. If you're, if you're, I know that <laughs> in the past we've gotten in trouble from our guests because they come here expecting a fight. <laughs> I'm completely laid back. Roll with the flow, run with the polls, it's your show. However you want to do it, I will not complain. If I get invited back on, I'm just happy. You will be invited back on, and I'm very pleased with this. <laughs> Bill, um... <laughs> Next, top, top ten topic, top ten Rush instrumentals. No. <laughs> <laughs> do, you think, do you think Bill's Canadian? <laughs> Bill, do you want to uh, recap our top 10 list for us before we head out? Absolutely. Well, the top 10 list that we came up with, and I really appreciate the fact that you guys are just going to give it to me carte blanche. <laughs> yeah. Number 10, We Are Marshall. Number 9, Major League. Number 8, Cobb. Number 7, The Longest Yard. 1974 version. Oh, yeah. Number, number 6, Slapshot. Number 5, The Karate Kid. Number 4, 1976's Rocky. Number three, The Hustler. Number two, Hoosiers. And ringing in at number one is Bold Durham. Thank you so much, Bill. Uh, that was a lot of fun, and we really appreciate. It's clear that you put a lot of work into your list, uh, and we really appreciate that. Yeah, any this is a real I have treat to watch a sports movie. Any any excuse I have to watch a sports movie, I will take it and run with it. And the ones I didn't watch for this list, I watched six of them in the last two days. <laughs> I could have watched the rest of them. I just couldn't find Major League Streaming anywhere, uh, so I couldn't get to that one. Bummer. But I absolutely loved it, boys. This was a lot of fun. I'd love to be back on in some other time. And uh, let's bring it, and let's have some fun. Yeah. Wow. Great. Yeah, I'll reiterate a thank you to you, Bill. And we're already looking forward to having you on again. And uh, on the subject of thank yous, at this point in the show, I usually thank Kevin McLeod for our, uh, our intro music and our Not Top 3 music. It's fantastic stuff. 
I usually always thank my sister Erin for our artwork. If you've seen that, you know that it's really good work. And if you want to see more of Erin's stuff, you can do so at Saint Design on Instagram. And I would thank our social media coordinator, Caroline Labranti, my fiance, for her great work. You can see her stuff for us on our Instagram account, Top10KM. That's 10 spelled out T-E-N. If you want to get in touch with us the way Bill did, I think, uh, you check out our Facebook group, which is uh, top, 10 K, top 10 with Kyle and Mike, spelled it all the way. If you got an email for us, you want to tell us about a topic, you want to tell us how Bill is better than us at podcasting, or you just want to tell us some shit, that's top10km at gmail.com. And finally, before we go, uh, I'm sure you're listening to us on some sort of podcast app, but if you're looking for another one, we are on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcast app, pretty much wherever podcasts can be found. So, gentlemen, uh, thank you for a wonderful episode, and uh, that's all I got to say. Th- thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. Peace. Peace.